There's uh, going to be a lot happening in the next uh, number of weeks, I guess, in the Stockman household. Um, We haven't quite moved yet, but hopefully in another 10 days or so we will be in a a lovely month. Um, But there will be time to box things and move things and all kinds of others. Also getting to know uh, you all and uh, getting to all kinds of meetings, etc. I decided not to stretch myself too much in preparation on Sunday mornings. We're going to get into that uh, in January or so. And some of you already know this. If you're not already a log-on member of our webpage, please uh, log on, become a member, because I'm going to send these little uh, emails out uh, on the fits, um, and uh, you'll find out maybe some of the thinking that goes on uh, behind some of the stuff that that we're doing as a congregation and and our own lives as a family, etc. So um, do get involved with uh, the website, not page. Kerry keeps telling me it's a website. Their page is on a website. Anyway, what to do this morning... You've got a, this guy coming to do our church weekend. He seems to be a wise man, Scottish, Glover. Glover's advice to me was start with an absolute stinker. Because it can only get better after that. Now, first on the agenda of session, how on earth have we that guy coming to do our weekend? But uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to that. It was a thought. It was a thought. Um, but when I was here on... The 13th of September, um, we looked at um, uh, soul wipe or um, marinade, uh, looking at something a bit deeper than maybe the surface spirituality that maybe uh, goes around in Northern Ireland. And from now uh, towards Christmas, I'm going to look at things that I think we've shriveled, a gospel, a scripture that we've shriveled a little bit, and we're going to try and make it expand and liberate it and see if we can big it up. And so this morning we're looking at grace, so before we do, let's pray again. Lord, again, take these thoughts of mine as I've wrestled with them over time, over many years, and uh, this morning, help them to come alive in our lives. Lord, you know everybody in this building, and I know so few, uh, but your Spirit knows us, and I pray that this word would somehow mysteriously and wonderfully come alive in our hearts and souls and minds. In Christ's name, amen. It seems so sensible, rational, and fair. The first are first. We wouldn't have it any other way. It's really sensible. It's really rational. It's really fair. The cooler affirmed and accepted. The beautiful are sought after. The talented go far. We wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, if there was another way, we we would... I mean, let me just for a minute. Two left feet taken over from... We and Rooney and the English attack. We really would, we wouldn't, well, we would probably like it over here, wouldn't we? Would be, and the Man United attack as well, we could, we could get a, a, a bit of that. Um, but somebody who feels their GCSEs immediately getting a scholarship to Oxford or Cambridge to do nuclear science or something. The people who get good grades in their GCSEs would say, it's not sensible, it's not rational, it's not fair. We live in a world where the first are first and don't dare ever change it. Two guys that can't sing one in the X Factor. I mean, it's not going <laughs> to... Oh, I hope it happens. Come on! Let's bring that show down to its lowest ebb because that's where it should be. But we do live in a world where the first are first. And we would... They are telling me that this new transfer that seven of our own 
um, 11-year-olds did yesterday, that they've taken out, the schools have taken out incredible amounts of insurance against the legal claims they're going to feel they're going to have to take into courts. Because if we don't get the marks right, and the first don't get first, we as a society, we really don't like it. Because it's absolutely sensible, rational, and fair that the first are first. However, can I suggest that it's the reason for every inferiority complex in the house, for every insecurity that we might have this morning, and mine are more than normal, for every sense of alienation that we feel, the stress that we go through on a daily basis to try and impress those around us, it leads to a fakeness and a shallowness that is keen not to let people know who we really are. Yes, seems sensible, seems rational, seems fair, but the truth is, at the end of the day, it causes all of our addictions, abuses, depressions, and everything else. The psychiatrists gain much in a world where the first are first where it seems to be sensible, rational, and fair. And I suppose this morning we're asking, what if? What if there was an interruption to this sense, this rationale, and this fairness? What if there was another way to live? What if there was another possibility? What if there was an interruption of grace in this graceless world? My favorite Irish theologian talks about interruptions of grace. McNeil's caught on who it might be already, following on the series from my favorite favorite Jewish theologian, Leonard Cohen, on uh, uh, Friday night. Bono! Oh, I did it! Look at that! He talks about interruptions of grace, and he's on to something that I think is really helpful to us as we think about this graceless world and how somehow another way breaks in. Breaks in. Like we were trying to say to the kids, not very articulately this morning I felt, favoured without our own merit, love unearned, acceptance as you are, salvation not by what you do, but by what somebody else does in your place. What if? What if the world would be different? It would be mad. It's not at all sensible. Prodigal son goes and spends all his money and all kinds of sinful living, and he comes home and they throw a party for him. It is madness. The Pharisees were waiting for some lightning to come, and all they got was a huge big hug from daddy. The Pharisees wanted something a little bit more sensible, rational, and fair, and so did big brother. But no, it was madness. Crazy idea. It was irrational. It was actually scandalous that there could be such a love for this son who did what he did and the neighbors would be all talking about it. But this is the gospel that we've been singing about. It's the gospel that we've read in Ephesians chapter 2. 
It's the Christian faith that we belong to. It's the only hope that I or any of us have. Frederick Buechner, the um, American Presbyterian minister, but known better for his writings, novels, etc., he has said, a crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. That's what we've been thinking about in Ephesians chapter 2 as we've read it. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. That's how Beekner put it, with italics in all those places. And Paul puts it similarly in Ephesians chapter 2, does he not? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's our ticket in, isn't it? We in Protestantism, Reformed, Evangelical Christianity, we go over and over and over how much we are saved, not by works so that no one can boast but by the gift of God's grace. And yet, this morning, is it a reality? I'll talk about this another time, but in 15 years of working with students, the biggest crisis I had was nothing to do with alcohol or promiscuity or drugs. It was to do with students coming to me and saying, I don't really believe God loves me. What? But... You know, you go to the church that tells you God loves you. Your parents are Christians and they've told you God loves you. You did beach missions last summer and you told other people God loves you. Why do you not believe that God loves you? Well, I know the words, but I'm not sure that it's a reality in my life. Might be a consequence, I think, of a bit of a Northern Ireland one and not just a Northern Ireland one, but this idea that we need the bad news first. So we've had so much bad news about ourselves that by the time we get to the good news, we're not sure whether to believe it or not. Get the bad news in first. I've heard that as lessons to preaching, and I'm not convinced that if I got up in the morning and went over to Jasmine and said, Jasmine, you are a worm. The things you did yesterday, Jasmine, I'll list them out for you. You just, I mean, you're my daughter. You can't be much good straight away. And you should see the grandparents and the great-grandparents and your great-granny. You should hear what she did in a hoggle in 1864. You really are just the worst that there could be. Now that I've said that, I'm glad to tell you I love you. You would lock me up rightfully. So why, when we're looking spiritually, do we do the same things? So many times I talk to people who still can't get this grace in their lives because they've been so whipped before they got to the grace that they're not sure quite whether to believe it. The great thing about Ephesians 2 is that it comes on the back of Ephesians 1. Now, this is your homework. 
Look through Ephesians 1 and see all the things that we are in Christ. It's absolutely incredible who we are in Christ. The love that God has shown us, the mercy that he's given us. Now that we're blameless, we're adopted as his children, we've been given power and inheritance and all kinds of amazing things. And I think Paul gets that all in first in Ephesians. And then at this start of Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us the reality. Before all that happened, we were living in this graceless world. And in a graceless world, guys... We're dead in our transgressions. There's no hope for us. But because of this grace that I've been telling you about for a whole chapter and that I'm going to get back to very quickly because I can't get away from it, you're alive in Christ. You're in the kingdom. It's your ticket in. I think also that maybe, and Chris Hunter pointed this out, we had a wee meeting about services and what you'd been doing up until now and what we might do in this next while. And Chris came up with a wee bit of wisdom that I've, I've held to myself since that point. He said that sometimes on a Sunday morning, it's a wee bit bombardment. We have songs and we have children's addresses and we have announcements and then we have a preach and then we have another hymn and then we have a benediction and then we go and there's no time. There's no space just to allow this grace the chance to seep into our souls. What Janet was talking about that you did last Sunday night. That kind of idea where we might, in meditation and reflection and in space, allow these truths that we expound on Sunday morning to become a part of us deep down. Next Sunday night, I'm going to try and, maybe with a wee bit of help from Janet, uh, she doesn't know that yet, but uh, do some of the stuff that I've been doing with the students in this. We call them quiet services. We're just going to spend 20 minutes to half an hour just soaking in this grace to make it a reality in our lives rather than just a concept. But it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's much more than that. And I think verse 10 takes us to that. Um, because Paul's talking here about us being dead in Christ, then we're made alive in Christ through the grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. And at the end of that section, as it's broken up in the NIV, uh, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Didn't say here we're God's workers. We are, but there's something even more incredible going on here. Because the grace that has saved us is the grace that carries us on. As well as a ticket into the kingdom, it's the food of the kingdom. It's the nourishment of the kingdom. We cannot hold on to our salvation as we were thinking in Sarah's song, We Are a Beginning, right at the start. We come and we're afraid and we're weak and we seek that Christ will allow us to hold on to this grace that we've been given. It is grace that gets us safe this far and it's grace that takes us home. It's grace that gets us into the kingdom And it's grace that fuels and feeds the workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God, the creator at work in our salvation by grace to create within us those who will live the kingdom. That's why I said on Friday night, Philippians 1 and 6, come back on Sunday at 11 o'clock to hear more. Being confident of this, Paul said to the Philippian church, that he who began a good work in you will continue it on to completion. And I pray that for the Stockmans as we arrive here. I pray it for we as a congregation as we move forward, that somehow this God who is beyond us and reaches, interrupts our lives by grace 
to give us a whole new life in the kingdom will then fuel us to be interrupters of grace. I think that's where it goes on to after Joy finished this morning. If we look at 11 through to the end of the chapter, we see that this grace makes us. God has interrupted our relationship between God and us by grace. And then the rest of chapter 2, the oneness in Christ that we find, the barriers broken down, the aliens becoming friends, built up one in Christ. We become interrupters of grace in the way that we live our lives to the people around us. There may need to be an interruption of grace in family relationships. There may need to be interruptions of grace in the Northern Ireland context. Was this church not a wonderful interrupter of grace into the way it was in the streets around us? When this church got involved in that cross-community work that had a huge part to play in where this city is today. Interruptions of grace. Loving our enemies as well as our neighbours. And what about our Romanian kids that were outside the windows when I was taking my vows on Friday night? The relationship and the society around them probably says the first are first. You're not like us. You're not as good as us. You're different than us. But not us. Because the grace that brings us into the kingdom and fuels and feeds us while we're in the kingdom makes us into those people that will break in to the way those racist scenarios are around us and say, no, we don't see it as the first being first. We see it completely differently. He who was first became last, that we who were last could become first. And now we look out in our lives to the last, to make them first in this brand new kingdom. Isn't that the way it was with the shepherds? Come to Christmas and I love it. Some of you have heard me on that for a week in the summer in Avuka. But there were the shepherds, dirty, bogging, balamina, culchies out there in the fields. Interruption of grace. You're going to be the first to meet God face to face. Oh, it wasn't the ones who were theologically robed and had their degrees. These shepherds, interruption of grace, and there they are into the presence of God. The wise men, they didn't have the Bible with them. They were looking at stars. They were Eastern mystical stargazers. Grace interrupts, and there they are into the presence of God. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Roman centurions, Samaritans, prodigals. The gospel is full of people whose lives were interrupted by grace. And we, as Christ's church, become those interrupters of grace. If we go to India or we buy something at a fair, then we interrupt the way it is by grace. Alan Gaston sent me an email uh, about this subversive revolutionary kingdom. And he said, yeah, how stupid we are to be investing our time in townships, giving our money to people who are hopeless and are not going to give us any return back. How mad that seems. How irrational that sounds. How scandalous it is that we would do some of these things. 
But that's what grace is. Yes, we should give to charity. And yes, we should be involved in development. But the kingdom of God is much more than charity and development. It's about a revolution where when the last become first, the whole world order is turned around. And we begin to see heaven on earth. God's will as it is in heaven right here around us. People love to aren't loved. You know, I used to look at Matthew 25 and I used to think, are we talking works there? You know the sheep and the goats thing. Sorry about Friday night. Apparently you were goats on Friday night and you didn't get upstairs to have a coffee with us. Sorry about that, but I'm um, glad you came back because the sheep haven't seemed to come back. They seem to be <laughs> off somewhere else. But that bit about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, you keep thinking, if you do these things, then you'll be a sheep. And if you don't do these things, then you'll be a goat. I was struggling with that, coming from my grace-centric theologies. And then I realized I was looking at it completely the wrong way. Because those are all acts of grace. When we go to feed the hungry, when we go to visit the prisoner, when we go to visit the sick, when we go to the marginalized, the least of these, and we do something for them and we find Christ in it, those are all acts of grace. They are all interruptions of grace. The grace that was our ticket in, that fuels us while we're in, allows us to be those who naturally become grace livers. I finish with a confession that I hope helps us understand this in its entirety. I love chocolates. You can tell, can't you? (laughs) It is my addiction. But I'm pretty sure when a Malteser's made that it's not made as an end in itself. It's not made to sit there and not be eaten. (laughs) Now, to be fair, my wife has a different policy in this, and she leaves them for long lengths of time. In fact, when she came back from London way back in time, her and um, myself and her cousin were sitting in the kitchen, and we saw this bag of Maltesers, and we jumped into them, we ripped them open, we put them in our mouths, and they were about three years old because Janice hadn't eaten them. They were disgusting. And uh, we spat them out jolly quick, and it's now a family legendary story. But as I see it, Maltesers are made to be eaten. They are not made to be an end in themselves. And when they're not eaten, when they're not used for what they're made for, they become stale and useless. And it isn't that we make them and then say, now that we've made you do this, it's one thing, they're made for this purpose. God's grace by the cross, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit poured out, interrupts our lives, and in the one movement, it's not, a mean, it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end that we might become the grace interrupters of this century, of this city, of this time, by living this mad, irrational, scandalous kingdom that is our only hope and the only hope for the world around us. May we be interrupters. Let's pray. Our God, I pray we would know deep down inside that you love us and that that would propel us, fuel us to be those who would let other people that we meet this week 
know deep down inside that we, the body of Christ, love them. However short our connection, however deep our relationship, that those we meet would know that we've been interrupted by your grace because they see us interrupting their lives by that same grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.